All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a very special episode of the Bills Beat Podcast, where we will be talking with none other than Bills General Manager Brandon Bean. Now, that interview is going to come to you in just a few seconds here, but uh, just wanted to remind you that after the interview, we will be uh, coming back to talk about what Brandon Bean had to say as well as some of our thoughts on some of the other free agent signings that we didn't get to. You know, the Cole Beasleys, John Browns, Ty Seckies of the world. We've mastered that, uh, that last name now, Matthew Fairburn. So uh, it's, uh, it, we'll, uh, we'll have tons of uh, content and info and theories and a little bit of everything as the Bills move past basically free agency and into draft season. All right, but first, without further ado, Bills General Manager Brandon B. Today, here uh, on the Bills Beat, we have special guests, General Manager Brandon Bean of the Buffalo Bills. Brandon, welcome to the to your first uh, foray here on, on the Bills Beat. Appreciate it. What took you so long to invite me? I well, say pissed off or yeah. something to get invited? <laughs> yeah, now that you're so loose-lipped, we figured you were a good fit. Yeah. Uh, Love it. This podcast. If you only knew. <laughs> Well, Brandon, I, I know you spoke at length uh, yesterday about a bunch of your free agent signings and, and all the like, um, but just how that whole day kind of came to be. I mean, maybe a little bit into the weeds since we have some time of how, how the sausage was made, so to speak, and really how this all started, when it all started, and then what got you to the day where all the payoff came. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it starts, it's a long, you know, it, mm-hmm. back in the fall, you know, we identify who's who's going to be free agents, and the scouts break it up to, you know, each team, each scout has a team, you know, that they're they're assigned to. I mean, each scout has multiple teams. And so one of the jobs, you go back to uh, Mitch Morse, you know, one of the scouts is in charge with the Chiefs. So he's following them, tracking them all season. If he's injured, this and that, he's putting in all the notes. And same thing for John Feliciano or Ty Nasecki or whoever. And then that goes on all fall. And then in December, we start to really narrow down because by then some guys have re-signed. Um, and, and we do a cross-check. So – we have a scout that he grades offensive linemen. We have a scout that grades running backs. Whatever the category is, just to get a double, you know, another set of eyes. And then when we're at the um, uh, Senior Bowl uh, with the college scouts, the pro guys are here, and they're kind of putting what well, we we do it into tiers, you know, by position. Of we think this is a tier one quarterback we think this is a tier two quarterback and then we start putting values of ranges on these guys where do we think they're going to be what's the max we're going to pay and then we get into um, fits culture fits scheme fits uh, what is their medical history and guys get thrown off that maybe are good but just like we do the draft board for the same thing and then we kind of identify who our targets are. So we had some targets in Tier 1 at certain positions. We had some targets in Tier 2, and even in Tier 3, you're really not looking for targets in Tier 4. Those are more later if you still need to fill a spot, you know, before or after the draft. How much do you, if at all, I mean, look at the draft class and say maybe it's a strong tight end or O-line draft class. Maybe we make our targets at a different position in free agency to try to – balance it out a little bit you definitely do and it goes even up to some of our interviews at the combine do how many guys do we feel we we want to rule out okay all right if we rule out three at this position 
due to interview or due to some medical things we've heard. All right, now what does that position depth look like? That's the closest thing we can get to free agency. We have to, you know, and things will still shake out through pro days and, and some guys will have to do medical rechecks. But it definitely plays in. If you're if you have a need and you already know the drafts, then you better try and strike in free agency. When uh, after the whole free agency, um, after it all happens, I mean, when you go into it having a certain set amount, now that you've been through it after you've actually had some money to spend, how I suppose difficult was it to stand pat to those values? Because you can have theory all. Until you're blue in the face, but when it's actually happening and you're on the verge of potentially losing a guy, how difficult is it for you to, I suppose, you know, stick firm to that value and lose out on a guy? Yeah, it's hard uh, because you're fighting with thirty potentially thirty-one other teams. Now, not all of them are on these guys, but there were guys that we did have targets on at various positions that we felt the price tag got too high, and it just. Um, you try not to do it. It's not to say you're not going to do it here and there if you really have a you know a dire need, but you can't do it across the board, or you're going to get yourself eventually within a year or two back to what we just got out of. So it's not easy. It's hard, especially you know you got coaches that are, man, I really I could use this guy. He would really help us, and and you want to do that. We want to fill those needs, but um, you know we try and have a checks and balances to what is our threshold on this. What does it do and what money does it leave us left if we are to go above and beyond and how far do we really want to go? I know you obviously mentioned yesterday that you don't think you lost anybody because of Buffalo and you don't think that recruiting to Buffalo was an issue, but was it any easier this time around selling maybe some of the O-linemen and wide receivers specifically now that you have a quarterback in place as opposed to last year you had one quarterback on the roster when you're trying to you know, recruit some wide receivers. Yeah, I definitely think uh, if you have a quarterback, that's the first thing that, that will sell. Um, you go back to look look at back in the 80s at the Green Bay Packers. I mean, they were, they were struggling, changing coaches. They made two big moves. They got Reggie White in free agency, who people thought couldn't, done, couldn't do. And they signed – or they uh, put Brett Favre in. Don Mikowski gets hurt. Brett Favre comes in. And – Ron Wolf made both of those both of both of those moves, and he was forever changed. You know his his legacy as a GM. You know that changed Green Bay, and then they get Aaron Rodgers in there, and they've they've never let go. And Green Bay's been considered a destination place, and I think it goes back to when they had Brett Favre and Reggie White, and so ideally, as Josh grows and and continues to lead this team. Hopefully that will be, you know, an added selling point. Hopefully it's even better next year after year two with Josh. When when this free agency situation came to be, I mean, you had a ton of cap room. I, as of this taping, I still don't think one of your free agents have been signed at this point. And I know how much you value the compensatory pick. So is it almost as though this one was like a guilt-free sort of spending spree because you didn't have to worry about the comp formula? Yeah, it, it's we knew it wasn't going to come into play. We didn't have enough guys. that We had too many holes to fill um, of players. So we knew this year, don't even worry about the comp formula. I'm, I am very conscious of it, as, as you said, and hopefully 
as we build this thing and draft and continue to re-sign our own that we do. It, you know, it, stink, it will stink to lose good players, but hopefully we have enough good players that we do lose because we have to pay hopefully our quarterback and some other great players that, we've, that have been drafted here the last couple of years. And then you start to get into that comp formula, uh, you know, of adding extra picks to replenish. And that is awesome because that goes back to what I love to do, draft, develop, and sign our own. With how much you love the draft, and I know because the whole, the whole Antonio Brown thing notwithstanding, I mean, just trades in general, and I suppose the giving up of picks, because you love your picks, you've said, yeah. you, you wish you had a million of them, but yeah. you can't, yeah. unfortunately. Um, with that said, if there is a premium player at a premium position, I mean, with how much you value picks, do, do you necessarily rule out the fact that you know, that two ones or one one, whatever the case may be, that no, that's just too rich for my blood because that's what we build our team with. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, you never say never. You never close the door. But uh, I definitely have to be sold that this is a really good move for us, for where we are. It's a, it's a big need for what we're doing. But, um, listen, we're going to be aggressive at times and, and whatever position. If we think it's a player that has – you know, the positive to that is generally if you're doing that, that's a known commodity. You know, that's the, the plus to it. The negative is it's, it's not a guy you're able to draft and develop. But um, there is something to a known commodity. Sometimes you need at a certain position or certain side of the ball, listen, we need a veteran presence right here, a guy who has done it, who has skins on the wall that will walk in here and our guys know, hey, this guy's a player. Because, you know, when they're drafted, um, guys are trying to fill them out and check them out, and veterans are like, they still got to prove themselves. Uh, so there are times where you have to do that, and we're open to it. Again, um, I love the picks, and, and uh, I want to be, you know, very careful with them, but uh, there are times that you do have to use them. You mentioned, you know, the value of bringing in a veteran who's kind of done it, and, you know, you know what you're getting. How important was that along the offensive line, a spot that, you know, the general conversation around the league is that it's harder to develop those guys now than it used to be just with the rules in college. You've got four veteran offensive linemen, and you mentioned changing the culture on the offensive line. How big of a, a focus was that for you? Yeah, I mean, we, we were looking for guys, um, A, that, that could play, had shown they had done it. And, um, you know, obviously Mitch Morse was, was the bigger name that has started a lot. Um, but Feliciano and, and Ty Nasecki, you know, Nasecki, he's played, you know, both tackles and, and guard. So you love the position flex uh, with him and, and with Feliciano. And, and both of those guys play with an edge, you know, a nastiness. And we just – we wanted to be a little bit – grittier and tougher up front and that went behind the moves as well again I think these guys are hungry that was one of the things we felt they have never been able to have a chance to start and play 16 games in a season and I think there's something to that sometimes you can find some guys listen they're going to have to compete nothing's given we haven't even had the draft yet and Spencer Long's in there too you know we signed him uh way back but um we would have tried to add him yesterday too if he had just become free agents. So um, we like the mix. We like the competition that's coming there. We'll see what happens in the draft if we add anyone. And and again, position flex is key because we're not slotting in guys at 
left tackle, left guard, whatever. They're going to fight it out, and the best five will, will show up in September. And it's interesting you brought that up because at the end of the season, the day after when you talked with us, I mean, Deion Dawkins was brought up, mm-hmm. and you didn't commit to him playing left tackle. So I guess where does he initially fit in with the guys that you have at the current moment before the draft, of course. Yeah, I mean, if we walked out right now, Dion would be at left tackle, but uh, he's still going to have to go earn that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that, that again, we haven't had the draft. Uh, Niseki's played there. If we feel that, you know, there's a better person, a better player there, um, then we'll do that and we'll move Dion somewhere else where we think he would be a better fit. So we're going to try and get the best five on the field in the best spots you know, to A, protect our quarterback, and B, get our run game, you know, going a little bit more than it was going last year. Where did it go wrong for him last year? With Dion? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think, you know, um, we didn't have a lot of leadership. We lost uh, Eric Wood and and Richie from the year before. And so he was able to come in. Um, and two, we tell guys this all the time, uh, year two is harder because you now have film, not college film, you got pro film. So I'm sure more guys were aware of him that he faced this year, more pass rushers of what his moves are, what he likes to do in these situations, and they played him. And so he's going to have to step that up this year and do the opposite, learn what these guys do on, you know, on certain situations, rundowns, pass downs, and things like that. So, um, again, this league, there's a lot of pros. You have to study your opponent. You've got to do everything else, but you've got to know your opponent. And I think that's something that Dion saw firsthand of how that works and, and will look to improve on you know, next season. A lot of people point to – or they want to look at everything you guys did in Carolina and kind of try to find patterns mm-hmm. and figure out what you're going to do here. But the offensive line always seemed to be a topic in Carolina. Um, and you've made a point to – put a really strong offensive line, at least on paper, a, a much better one uh, in front of Josh than you did last year. Makes me curious what maybe lessons you learned from being you know, the assistant in Carolina and what sort of uh, things you're maybe thinking to do differently or, or things that um, didn't work that maybe you hope work here. Yeah, um, to use Dave Gettleman's term, he always called him the hog mollies or whatever. But, uh, no, I I believe um, you need to be good up front, both sides of the ball, O-line, D-line. You know, on the offensive side, you got to be able to protect your quarterback. you got to be able to run the football. If you can't do those things, you're going to have a hard time winning. So you can have Jerry Rice and, you know, uh, Julio, whoever, you know, outside and running down the field. But if the quarterback's on his back, doesn't matter. Um, same thing, you can have Walter Payton in the backfield, but if you can't block those guys, they're not going to be able to break free. Um, you know, same thing up front on, on defense. If, if, if your front can't stop the run, you're never going to get to the passing downs. you got to be in third and seven and longer as much as you can. If you're in third and three, third and four, now the defense, it's a little, it's, it's a little harder on them and, and the ball's coming out quicker and the rushers can't get there. Um, also, if you don't have a good front on defense, now these guards are getting to your linebackers, are getting to Tremaine and Matt, and now that's when you get the big run. So, again, one of the focus was to, you know, last year we, we shored up the D-line, this year was to try and shore up the O-line. And in respect to the defensive line, last year I know one thing that um, Sean maybe wasn't crazy about was the lack of a pass rush consistently enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it just based on the way the league is trending, I mean, what – 
in your mind sets the tempo? Is it the interior rusher or the or the edge guy? Because I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there that that will point to the interior as, as the point man of any uh, pass rushing attack. So I'm just curious as to what your thoughts on on that. Yeah, I mean, I think in the perfect world you have you know some of each, right? Because sure. they complement each other. You know, offensive coordinators are smart and, and they scheme it. And if if you've only got edge guys, they can get over there and chip and do that. Um, but if you've only got interior guys, they can do the same. And and so I think in a perfect world, they complement each other, where they don't know that you only can generate pressure from the inside or only from the outside because guys are too smart; they'll adjust. So hopefully, we can improve in both areas with our pass rush, our inside, you know, and our, and on from from the outside. You didn't sign any former Panthers this time around. Are you feeling okay? <laughs> Turning over a new leaf? I mean, what is it? Yeah, I mean, some of that is intentional of signing those guys before that, uh, right. you know, even before I came in here, I know Sean, you know, brought in Tolbert and, and Leonard Johnson and some guys. It's just to guys to carry your message and, and how we how things are expected to be done, pros, pros, things like that. Um, but we're looking for good players, and sometimes it's coincidence too. Um, that I mean, and there were some guys that we looked at here, um, but we're just looking for good players that fit. And doesn't mean that we wouldn't add one again down the line that that we're familiar with, especially if it's if it's a guy that um, you know is our type of guy, pros pro, and, and, and fits a need you know on the offensive or defensive side. How does life change for you now that you're through the fire of free agency? I mean, the draft is obviously what six weeks away now. Yeah. So what? Uh, I mean, you're here in Buffalo, which is probably not going to be the common case from here on for. But what uh, what what changes for you now? Yeah, I mean, um, well, I'm getting on the road uh, starting Sunday, and so the next three weeks we've got the owners' meeting squeezed in there. But um, starting Sunday till basically April 4th or 5th, uh, whatever that Friday is, uh, I'll be on the road at hitting pro days. We've got some privates lined up. Um, and we're just going to try and see and meet uh, some more of the guys that I haven't and work out a few, watch, watch them in pro days, and um, we're going to split up as a group. You know, we've all got guys we're, we're going to see, and we'll come back in here um, around the, the college scouts. I'll be here the day I get back, and uh, we'll start grinding for a couple of weeks on getting our board. You know, we got in, good, in a good spot, but we'll start making tweaks and adjustments and uh, get it finalized for, for the end of April. I'm good. You're good. All right. Well, Brandon, th- thanks for doing this, man. You got it. Thanks for having me, guys. No swearing. I'm disappointed a little bit. I'll, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was uh, Bill's GM, Brandon Bean. All right. Well, uh, some to learn there from from Brandon Bean. Uh, you know, it was an interesting conversation, more of a, more of a, uh, an overview as opposed to the, the types of, uh, like, Hey, why Mitch Morse? Hey, why this guy? Hey, why that guy? I found particularly interesting, Matthew, what uh, he had to say about Deion Dawkins in there. What did you think? Yeah, I think they obviously, you know, felt that the offensive line, they saw what everybody else saw on the offensive line. And I think, you know, the points he made about positional flexibility, and he talked a lot about finding guys that are nasty and play with a little bit of an edge. And so... I think Deion Dawkins now finds himself in a spot where he really has to prove himself. And I think that's the case with a lot of the guys on the roster where, you know, in the first couple of years of this regime, the roster was so barren 
they had stripped it of so much talent that guys like Zay Jones walked into starting roles. Deion Dawkins walked into a starting role. That's not totally the case now. I, I know Brandon Bean said that Deion Dawkins will be the left tackle right now, but if it doesn't work out, they're going to move him. And it's, the same probably goes for Zay Jones at wide receiver. If there's a, a guy in the draft that they like and they consider an upgrade, they'll move on. You know, when I talked to Brandon Bean yesterday, he mentioned that, you know, they're not going to bat a thousand in terms of finding guys that fit or finding guys that are perfect for what they're trying to do. And an important part of this, now that they're a couple years in, is recognizing those mistakes and finding ways to move on. And I think what they did on the offensive line allows them to push Deion Dawkins. If he if he wasn't, you know, awake yet, he should be now. Right. Uh, the more they talk about him, the more it's clear that he'll still get his shot, but they now have guys that can push him, and they have guys that they can move around um, and put at different spots. Outside of Mitch Morse, most of these guys can kind of, even Enseke can play guard if they need him to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. That's a really big guard. It's a big boy, a guard, <laughs> but if they need, he's the type of guy who's done a little bit of everything. And so it gives you some options on the offensive line. I think right now, if you had to guess, it's probably Dawkins, uh, Feliciano at left guard, Morse at center, Spencer Long at right guard, and Enseke at right tackle. But. Who's to say that doesn't shuffle up and, and things change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they still have the draft. Yeah, they, they sure do. And but they have added four offensive linemen through free agency: Spencer Long, Ty Insecki, Mitch Morse, and John Feliciano. Four new players, and you'd have to think Vlad Dukas is just going to be a camp body at this point. And you know, the Russell, same might be Russell Bodine. I mean, he he kind of stinks, so yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't really disagree with that notion. But Deion Dawkins. It's it's not even though as though that it was that strong of a sentiment as you pointed out for what Brandon Bean said about him. He he was like, well, if we lined him up today, Dion would we throw Dion out there at left. It's not like Dion's our left tackle moving forward after all the moves that we've made. No, it's it's uh, quite the contrary to that. And so Dion Dawkins better get his stuff together because this this train will be leaving. Without him, if if he doesn't uh, put in the work, and it's interesting that Bean brought up all of the the film study part of it, which means they were clearly unhappy with the amount of time put into it and the amount of uh, attention to detail put into it. Like he thought maybe he could just go out. Uh, I, this is me guessing, but maybe he thought he could just go out there and and win, as opposed to studying the tells of the opponent. Whereas that's just not going to fly in the NFL. He's not going to be able to rely on his athletic abilities alone. And it's worth noting that Nseke is considered better at left tackle. Uh, he'll stand up there and say he'll play wherever the team wants him to and that um, you know right tackle is fine by him. And maybe it is. Maybe he'll be just as good over there. But historically, uh, those who have followed him closely say that left tackle is where he's been more at home. Um, and it's where he's played more, I think, just out of necessity um, with Washington. But that puts uh, a little bit of pressure on Deion Dawkins. And Brandon Bean has shown a willingness to wheel and deal and mm-hmm. trade guys for picks and um, move guys around the board. So another thing I think that's really worth pointing out, which we've done before, but Zay Jones and Deion Dawkins are not Brandon Bean draft picks. And that doesn't mean they're not his types of guys or they're not his 
uh, he's not beholden to them or whatever. But it's just worth pointing out um, when you consider the fact that both of them right now are in flux, probably more so Zay Jones than Deion Dawkins. I mean, well, Deion Dawkins is in flux insofar as we don't know where exactly he'll play, but he's still one of the five best offensive linemen they have. Is he? I think he is because I, I would I would agree, but I think it's draft, fair to actually like talk about it. I think after the draft, maybe we'll have a, a better discussion because sure, right. um, I don't know that there's a third tackle that you look at on the roster and say that's the guy. You know, unless you're Connor McDermott's the only guy you can really say mm-hmm. maybe is better than Deion Dawkins, but we have no evidence to suggest that's the case because he hasn't played nearly enough, but. After the draft, it's quite possible that we could say that Deion Dawkins is not one of the five best offensive linemen on the team. And I think, you know, so he's his situation is up in the air. Zay Jones, while he's been, you know, the leading um, wide receiver on the team the last couple of years, mm-hmm. that's only because they've had nobody else. And so uh, John Brown is going to stretch the field. Robert, I mean, there's only so many passes to go around right and now Cole Beasley is going to fill that slot possession role and you've still got Robert Foster on the roster uh Duke Williams will probably compete in camp I mean guys like Ray Ray McLeod uh, will be and Isaiah McKenzie are probably going to be on the outside looking in but Zay Jones's role is very much unknown at this point and it's diminished I would say mm-hmm. at the very least so two guys that were not picked by Brandon Bean that you know haven't proven themselves to be 100% for sure this guy is an answer. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with them throughout the summer because now they head into the draft kind of wide open in terms of the needs that, uh, you know, the types of positions they could go after. See, with with Zay Jones, at least in the second half of the season, he showed a lot of things. Like, they were very complimentary of, of what he did and the amount of effort that he put in and and everything along those lines, and and taking a step in their minds. Whereas, I mean, and they would go up and say it publicly about Zay Jones. Now, maybe that's what he needs, um, that type of validation from the decision makers there. But they didn't do the same courtesy for Deion Dawkins. And I don't know if it's motivation tactic. I don't know if they're being truthful. But that's why I'm thinking, like, Zay Jones might be in a little bit better standing than Deion Dawkins, at, at least at this point in time on, what, March 15th? But when Yeah, you... they're different situations in the sense that Deion Dawkins probably has a more secure role right, on sure. paper, and he's probably the more talented player, and the guy that's done, he's reached a higher point. Um, his highest point in his first two years is higher than Zay Jones' highest point. But the in terms of how happy the regime is with him zay jones probably has more going for him in that regard because of the way he works how he finished the season and everything that goes along with that so different situations in flux for different reasons and both guys that are going to be definitely worth keeping an eye on and i think that's sort of the the big takeaway for me from free agency is guys like that that you just would go into the summer and just assume big roles for because there was nothing else. I mean, a guy like Wyatt Teller ends up in the starting lineup because everybody else is so bad. It's not Mm -hmm. a knock on Wyatt Teller, but he was kind of a developmental pick. And he gets put into the lineup because they have to try something. The offensive line is so bad. 
Whereas now guys are really going to have to earn, you know, these rookies that come in are going to have guys in front of them that will make it hard to crack the starting lineup at some positions. I think, you know, tight end is still one where there's a path to the starting lineup, maybe even, you know, defensive end or defensive tackle. But, you know, a lot of these positions now, you can't just go into the summer and say, yeah, Zay Jones is going to be be a starter or even Deion Dawkins because there are now NFL players uh, with, you know, upside and proven guys that have done it in, in the league and who are getting paid well that are coming in here to compete and try to take jobs. So uh, much different dynamic. I know some people are sitting there saying outside of Mitch Morris, they didn't really get an impact cornerstone type of player, but you don't always look for those guys in free agency. Yeah, I don't think that's what they want to do. You look for them in, in the draft, and what they do have is guys that guys that can play, guys that can increase the competition across the roster and make life a little harder for some of these guys that have just walked into starting roles uh, in previous years. I think they probably would have made another exception if they were able to get their hands on like a pass rusher um, because that's something that they sorely need and that, uh, you know, once Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson on their respective deals are over, then they virtually have nothing at, at, at defensive end. So I think um, that might have been one of the areas that they might have gone with the exception through free, free agency along with center. But, you know, by and large, this is about filling roles and finding role players and, and finding guys who are going to be selfless in those roles. And that's uh, that's what they did in getting John Brown, Cole Beasley, uh, Ty Insecki, uh, Feliciano, who we don't know if he's going to start or not. He's going to compete for it. Probably winds up a depth guy. More uh, that that would be the the more obvious case here. But I mean, when we talk about Zay Jones, I think I think the one guy that might wind up suffering by by the two new signings is Robert Foster. Yeah, and and definitely. because when when you add John Brown, I mean, the only thing that separates John Brown and Robert Foster is Foster's height. I mean, John Brown has better hands. He's a better overall route runner. He's more refined. He's had more he's had more success at the NFL level. And I know everyone wants to look at Robert Foster's second half after he got added back to the season. But you cannot only put that into the equation. You have to put in the fact that during training camp, during preseason, outside of the one catch in Chicago that basically landed him on the active roster, and in his first month and a half on the job... He was virtually non-existent to the Bills, and they were clearly unhappy with how he or how he was working at it. I mean, I, I remember this one specific instance before he got cut where, you know, the Bills, this was right after the Josh Allen injury, and the Bills were uh, trying to get Derek Anderson up to speed. And the entire offense, in terms of skill players, tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, fullbacks, the entire offense stayed after practice while the media was gathering over by the press conference area and to go through the paces with Derek Anderson. Derek Anderson was trying to get up to speed. Heck, LaShawn McCoy was over there. And LaShawn McCoy doesn't do a hell of a lot after practice. Let's, let's just be honest here. So, I mean, Foster did a couple reps, but before they even like concluded and came together as a team, Foster just walked off to the locker room. Whereas Cam Phillips was working his butt off, taking almost every single rep out there. And lo and behold, I don't know if it was that week or the week after that, Cam Phillips ends up on the active roster and Robert Foster is cut. So that's 
that has to be factored in here. I'm sorry. I mean, I know Foster had great games down the stretch, and he should not. That should not be taken from him. But the Bills know that he needs some kick in the ass to to get going, and that's why this this offseason is so important for him. Now, I, I will say to Robert Foster's credit, he's spending the offseason here. Yes, he's flying out to California to work with Josh Allen. Um, I think that moment was a bit of a, a wake up call for him, but. The fact of the matter is they don't have a lot invested in him. He's an undrafted guy, and he's going to have to fight for every rep, every target that he gets. I still think he's in the picture. He's yeah. he's a young guy. He has a ton of upside, and he could be a bit of a find for them. But we also have to remember at the end of the year, they were running a lot of empty sets, and you need more than one receiver. You need more than Robert Foster, Zay Jones, and Isaiah McKenzie. Now you can roll out a four-wide receiver set that has John Brown, Zay Jones, Cole Beasley, um, yeah, and Robert Foster. So, you know, that's two speed threats and two guys that can work underneath. I think that's, you know, a pretty good group. Is it the best group in the league? No, and that's why, you know, either in round one, two, three, four, somewhere in, in the early part of the draft, wide receiver will still very much be on their radar. At least I would expect it to be. And... But I still think you can find a way to utilize all these guys. And look, John Brown has an injury history. And so there's that element of this as well. Maybe Robert Foster is able to learn some things from John Brown. And again, this should be another wake-up moment for Robert Foster because you know I, I when I wrote about him at the end of the year and, and sort of talked to him and talked to a lot of these younger guys that were in roles, it's like, Last year was such a unique situation mm-hmm. that I'm not sure every single one of those guys grasped the fact that they were starting NFL games and that's not normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that maybe Especially a, at their age. A, a guy like Corey Thompson, uh, a guy like Keith Ford, these aren't guys that would start for a normal team or play play significant snaps for a team that has the usual amount of depth. And so... This is probably another one of those moments for Robert Foster, like when he got cut, where he can look at it and say, all right, I still have work to do, I, but you know, competition wins out, injuries happen, still have to be ready, and I still think he's got a roster spot after what he did. So uh, it's it's just another you know moment for them. We talked going into this offseason about how they shouldn't be comfortable with just Robert Foster and Zay mm-hmm. Jones. Clearly they were not, and... Cole Beasley is more of a, a guy that will push Isaiah McKenzie out of the lineup than anything else. But who knows? Maybe they look and say, we want... I think the big competition now is between Foster and Zay Jones. I know they play mostly, sometimes different spots. But when you have three receivers on the field, do you want Brown, Foster, and Beasley? Or do you want Brown, Foster, and or Brown, Beasley, and Jones? It's an interesting question to ask, and I think there's going to be times where you're going to want the speed. And so I think there's still roles for for both of those guys, but a lot will depend on uh, who they end up with after the draft. Yeah, I agree. And I wonder if maybe they just go into this season and and just see how it all plays out between those top four guys. Because Especially after the uh, addition of Andre Roberts, I'm not necessarily that confident that Isaiah McKenzie is even going to make the team now. Um, and so with that, it's it's going to be those top four that we've been talking about. Beasley, Brown, uh, Zay Jones, and Robert Foster. And 
you know, they could certainly if they find the right value at a a wide receiver. Like let's say a guy like Hakeem Butler is available at forty, then yeah, go for it. Why not, right? I mean, uh, what he's something that you don't have, and I know the the uh, the emphasis, or at least what they have, indicates that maybe they're looking for small and fast guys, but uh, Hakeem Butler is big and fast. <laughs> so there, there's that. So it's it's those types of players. But if they don't, I think they might just be content to let it roll the way it is. And then if it becomes evident that Zay Jones just doesn't have it, and this is a huge year for Zay Jones. It's just like Deion Dawkins. It's now past the point of this guy, hey, he's showing signs of life here and there, but the consistency just isn't there. He no longer gets that benefit of the doubt. This is his third season. He's supposed to be grown up at this point as an NFL player. So now he has to be a consistent impact type of player, or at least win on his routes consistently, even if he doesn't put up big statistical games. And we'll see it. I mean, you you could see it even when he wasn't contributing late in the year last year uh, in terms of uh, catches and receiving yards. He was still working really hard to get open, and he was still getting open. Just... He, he needs to show it, and it might be a little too early to to uh, bring the full determining thing on uh, Robert Foster because he'll only be two years in. But um, all in all, when you have uh, when you have a third year guy like that, he's he's got to show it. And if he doesn't, then wide receiver becomes a priority because hey, John Brown and Cole Beasley are essentially on one year de- one year deals themselves. So I mean, they can turn over the wide receiver room completely next year without without really even batting an eye and I think it'll be helpful too I, I mentioned with Robert Foster potentially learning from John Brown and guys learning from Cole Beasley Cole Beasley is a smart wide receiver when you watch how he plays the game um, you know in terms of adjusting his routes on the fly and being pretty precise and he's same, fun to watch same man. goes for John Brown in terms of how he attacks the ball um, you know down the field and you know, how he finds the, the, the weakness of a defensive back um, and knows when to turn on the Jets. I mean, both of those guys, um, you know, have been through, uh, you know, the the ups and downs of NFL seasons and, and learned what works and what doesn't. So there haven't really been those guys in the room since Zay Jones and, um, you know, Robert Foster have been there, unless you count Andre Holmes and Kelvin Benjamin, which <laughs> I do not. Um <laughs> Same yeah. go, same really goes for Deontay Thompson, who's a good veteran receiver, but not a guy that's shown. I mean, John Brown has a thousand yard season, so uh, these guys are proven, and and they're hopefully going to be a good influence on you know the other guys in the room. And I see. I want to think that John Brown's going to be an influence, but how? Uh, he's a really quiet guy. He is. I mean, and I wonder how that would go with because Robert Foster's a really quiet guy too. Guys that are quiet to us, um, you know, aren't always quiet behind closed I doors. Right. And perhaps that helps him mesh with Robert Foster in a way because, you know, they're both quiet. Um, and even just watching how a guy works sometimes can be a valuable resource when no matter what you're doing, no matter what your profession is, being next to a guy that's that's doing what you do uh, at a higher level can rub off on you. And uh, Cole Beasley's relatively quiet as well. Um, You know, soft-spoken at least. He says a lot, but he's he's soft-spoken. So watching how they work, uh, picking their brain off to the side, I think all that stuff 
is useful, especially for guys that just have never had that. Uh, you know, these aren't, you know, you come in and, you know, they've had a couple different position coaches um, at wide receiver, you know, and so they just have to, you know, have having veterans in the room and uh, having a little bit of consistency in there hopefully will be helpful because last year the wide receiver room got turned over, you know, quite a bit and it was a little bit, a little bit of a mess throughout the year. So a little bit of stability in there will be nice for everyone involved, including the quarterback. You know what I like about Cole Beasley? He's got a little bit of a don't give a shit to him. Yeah, he's got an attitude. He's got the thing about him is that he has a lot to prove. He he feels like he was underutilized and that, you know, he deserves to be kind of a primary weapon in an offense. And he doesn't, you know, he's not really phased by the. It's funny, a couple of these guys that they got made sense beforehand, guys like Mitch Morse and Cole Beasley. But you wondered, Mitch Morse has spent the last nine years of his life in Missouri, set up roots there. Cole Beasley spent essentially his whole life in Texas. Mm hmm. And you would think has roots there, but both of those guys were comfortable, you know, trying to prove themselves and, you know, taking the the adventure with their families to move and, um, you know, see what another place is like and be the guy. You know, Mitch Morris is now a leader. He's now the guy on the offensive line. Cole Beasley might be the primary weapon at wide receiver. I mean, you know, he not <laughs> to know. say he's the number one wide receiver in name, but as a slot receiver in Brian Dayball's offense, maybe he is. Uh, we saw how reliant Josh Allen became on Isaiah McKenzie down the stretch. Um, so maybe that these are guys that the element they bring to the offense. Um, we saw a lot of the routes that Isaiah McKenzie ran. Those will be Cole Beasley's now. And the vertical shots that Josh Allen took more often than any quarterback in the league will now be going to a wide receiver who is one of the best at making plays on those balls. So uh, both guys that make a lot of sense for this offense and may not be number one receivers in terms of their cachet and their you know history of production, but definitely guys that will be should be a boost uh, on the field and, and with Josh Allen's skill set. And you know what the basically the end of free agency um, does for us? It means we get to talk about the draft all the time now and that's fun so and this opens up a lot of possibilities with the oh, draft, it, which it most makes certainly it, does um even more interesting so it should be a fun few weeks and i i get the sense too um in the conversation we had with brandon bean uh today and the conversation i had with him yesterday that he's glad to be focusing on the draft as oh, well yeah. most gms if you talk to them love the draft. They, they love the scouting aspect of it. Everybody talks about building through the draft and all that, but there's also just the, uh, there's something about the draft when you're bringing a guy in um, and you're getting your hands on him first. Um, you know what type of guy you're getting and uh, the whole scouting process is such an exhaustive one and uh, that go, spans for so many months that now it's pro days for a few weeks, private visits after that, and then, um, you know, the big weekend where, um, it'll be a, it'll be a crucial draft for these guys, but they now go in and we talked about it. Best player available and all that. We've talked about defensive line since the off season began, and now mm -hmm. it's looking like you know they're even more open to do something like that now than they were this time last week. In fact, 
I mean, that might even be what they need most. At this might point. be the odds-on favorite <laughs> yeah. to go get an edge rusher if you can't trade for one, or if Ziggy Ansah is in New Orleans right now. If that doesn't pan out, um, that'll be a, a big need. And I still think three-tech defensive tackle. Me like too, Jordan man. Phillips is a decent player, but I wouldn't want him to be my my main guy there. Um, and they're certainly not paying him like he's the main guy there. So look at. We can't, as you know, I asked Brandon Bean uh, earlier, you can't draw all the parallels from what they did in Carolina. But what I think they did well in Carolina is drafting and developing on the defensive line. And that's a credit to Sean McDermott, who was the defensive coordinator. And, you know, obviously Brandon Bean was a big part of the scouting staff. So I would be, I think it would make a lot of sense from a roster building standpoint to address that in the first you know, round or two of the draft. Yep. And the only pick they have in, invested into that defensive line since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have gotten there has been Harrison Phillips, who is a um, third round one technique. They haven't drafted a defensive end. They haven't drafted a defensive tackle. And in Carolina, they did that stuff almost every single year and usually early. So, yeah, they had they picked Starr early. They picked Vernon Ely early. Vernon Butler, Kawan Short. Uh, Charles Johnson was a fairly high pick, was he not? I, uh, he, at one point, that he was, might have been there bef- um, before the, it they was, got there. Uh, well, Brandon Bean was there forever. Oh, true. Um, well, but, I mean McDermott. Um, but yeah, th- so they a lot of these guys, obviously Pep, and they had Peppers in place, yep. um, at, you know, early on in that tenure. But drafting and developing defensive linemen, you know, you can't have enough of them. Cornerback, the same thing. Not saying they'll pick a cornerback at nine, but. You can't have enough cornerbacks in the NFL because mm-hmm. injuries happen, and oftentimes you have three or four of those guys on the field. So um, that's still in play. Running backs still in play. Tight ends still in play. Lots of uh, possibilities. O line. Uh, only about six months or six weeks uh, left to to dive in. I know. I gotta I gotta start cramming for the draft. I don't know about you. I I gotta start watching these these guys at a pretty uh, heavy clip here. So yeah, it's tough when they were focusing so much on free agency to, it, but it also makes you, you know, the story I wrote today about how this whole free agency comes together. And we talked a little bit about it with Brandon, um, earlier on this episode, how they juggle it all is kind of amazing, you yeah. know, because Brandon Bean goes to the combine and he has a million different things he needs to be doing. His, his days are even longer, uh, than ours, uh, at the combine. And, you have to know the draft really well to attack free agency the right way. And you also have to be, I mean, pro days are going on this week. You got to have a really good staff, a really organized staff and a good plan of attack in order to make it all work. And, um, you know, results will be what they will, but I think clearly they've got a pretty organized and fluid uh, operation going on behind closed doors. Yeah, I agree. And basically Brandon Bean is going to be on the road from now until the draft gets here and well until early April. Yeah. And then early April is when they have to get back into those 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. draft meetings to finalize the draft board. Yeah. And so he'll be on the road for the next two and a half weeks, and then he'll be inside for that's basically <laughs> That's basically being on the road away from your home, away yeah, from I your mean, family at that point. Yeah, yeah. those meetings are not pleasant. Um, they're just dry. You know, lots mm-hmm. of players, every little detail on their life. It's Probably not, lots of coffee. Not glamorous in terms of uh, the work you're doing, but very necessary work to be prepared uh, come, you know, the end of April. And, uh, yeah, this is a... 
busy, busy time uh, for the Bills and an important one. So we'll see how it all works out. But it, I, I think, I don't know, grades are all the rage. I would say solid B plus, A minus for free agency, right? I mean, sure. not terrible. Yeah, um, I mean the the majority of the contracts were were uh, you know able to be get they were able to get out of them after the first year, um, and so that's a good thing because it increases their flexibility. They crossed off a bunch of need needs. I mean, they could still use players at the positions they even signed, and so that part was good. And then they addressed their number one priority in free agency, which was finding a veteran center who could come in and and just be the guy for the offensive line, and they did that with Mitch Morse. And it seems like, from his personality, just from hearing him talk for 10 minutes, it seems like that's that's the type of dude he is. So, yeah, this is a I, – I would tend to agree. The B-plus – I don't want to go in the A realm because we don't we haven't really seen these guys play too much. But uh, outside of the wide receivers, you know pretty much what you're getting with those. But yeah, I'd say B, B plus. I would agree. I think it was a solid. You, you don't. You almost don't want to be the team that gets yeah. the A plus in yeah. free agency. That's because it never seems to work out that way. Uh, uh, if you're the team that got all the best guys, then you might have messed something up. Yeah, just. Put one in between the left fielder and the center fielder, and and hope you can leg out a triple. Yeah, I think it, the, and the fact that they, the reason I say you maybe creep it into a minus range is the fact that they didn't overextend themselves. They didn't ruin the cap. Um, they're still flexible enough to make a big move if they wanted to, and they're only committed to Mitch Morse beyond 2019. So they did a good job. I think. You know, it's easy to look at all the guys they brought in and say, oh, what happened to being judicious? But I actually think they were somewhat judicious in what they did. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, so that will do it for us. I know you're very much anticipating who the winner of the Come On Darlene bracket is. We're going to give it another week for you all to vote to uh, get in there because it's a, it's a pretty close vote. So uh, if you haven't yet, go do it. Find it in the info of the last episode or uh, tweet at us, Come On Darlene. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscaglia. We will next talk to you next week when draft will be all the rage. We'll start getting into some of these prospects and uh, some positions that the Bills might be looking at. All right, so we will talk to you then. See ya. See ya.